Hello, people of the way. Uh, we are going to continue our study through the book of Acts. And if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. This is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. It's loaded. It is so loaded. I know I say that a lot, that I have favorite chapters, and I do. But this is one that I love it. It's a lot of action happening here. And it's, it's going to take us some time to complete it. But it, so in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, well, actually in the previous chapter of, or previous verse of, of chapter 15, it says that, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so here we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 16. And so they're, they're north of Israel, kind of in the coastal regions, Syria and Cilicia, when you get into, you know, a little bit of the touches in the coastal, but then they head west. Because it says here in verse 1, it says, uh, Then he came to Derby and Lystra. It's so cool when you read like Acts, in, in, in the book of Acts. We've already done it already, but re- look at your maps in the back of your Bibles. If you have, you know, if your Bible has those. If it doesn't, you know, sorry. No, if it, if it doesn't, you can pull it up online. There's some, you know, you can see these cool Bible maps online. And, uh. So it says they he came to Derby and Lystra, and when you look in the maps, you see these things, the, these cities, and it's so cool because they, they walked it, you know, they they had to hump it, you know, load up their stuff, and then they go and walk, you know, and maybe they had like uh, donkeys or horses, but you know, most likely they walked, and along the way they're planting seeds, and you know when we get into the the books of like you know uh, uh, Romans, uh, uh, Corinthians. And, uh, uh, you know, all these books, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Colossians, these are churches that are established here in the book of Acts. And, you know, we're going to touch on these. And it's so cool because you see, like, you know, like we're going to see, like, the birth of the church in Corinth, the birth of the church in Galatia. And we're going to see these things. And then when you get to Galatians, you're going to see, oh, there was a problem that arose in this church. What was it? A church that wanted to go back to the law. And so Paul wrote a letter to them. And that's what the book of Galatians is. And then you were going to see when we get to Corinth. What was uh, uh, the church in Corinth? What was their issue? Carnal, like major carnality, a lot of sexual sin. Influence of, uh, you know, idols, other gods. And so Paul wrote a letter to them. And then he writes another letter to them. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. You see, and you know, like the Philippian church. What was their issue? Nothing really. Philippians is like a model church, but he still gave warning. You know, Paul gave warning to them. Hey, keep yourself clean. Keep yourselves clean, he says to the church in Philippi. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, a little uh, uh, cliff notes. And then he writes to the pastors, sends letters to the pastors. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. So it's so cool to see how the Lord works in teaching us. You know, you read the Gospels, it's like, boom, you know, Jesus Christ. And then his messengers, the apostles, all of a sudden you see like, wow, you know, more doctrine, a little picture of evangelizing and standing firm. You know, being a fisherman, being a shepherd. That's what you see in the early church. New believers in the church is blowing up like crazy, like a wildfire. And then all of a sudden, you know, the letters to the pastors. And then you get into Revelation. 
And it's like, whoa, a picture of the last days, the vision that John had. You see, the last days. Days that I can make a very, very strong case that were further along than many realize. And back it up. Not just say like, hey, we're in the last days. You know, when I say that, I don't say that lightly. I realize that, you know, that the, the implications of saying that could be frightening. I fully realize that. I don't just say that, to, you know, to freak anybody out. But all these things that lead up to the events of the last days, we're, we're told about. And Jesus Christ says, you know what? Be ready. Be on guard. Be on watch. He uses military terms. Paul uses Peter. All these people use military terms. Hey, don't be asleep. You know, don't be deceived. Jesus Christ says it. Paul says it. Peter says it. Don't be deceived. And what do you see running wild? Deception. But there's safety in God's word. That's why it's important to be in God's word. Very, very important. And so he says here in verse 1, Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple, mathetes in the Greek, in the Greek, it means a learner. A learner and a pupil. You see, it's a disciple. A certain disciple was there named Timothy. I love this. This isn't the first time you see Timothy in the Bible. A future pastor. A future pastor. And he's a disciple. He's a young kid here. A disciple, you know. I say between age 10 and 20. There's some people who say, you know, he was probably like, you know. 11, maybe at 13, you know, like, like a, a bar mitzvah age, you know, or maybe he was in the early 20s. It doesn't really say it. So I give a nice big window, 10 to 20. You know, I don't think he's older than 20. But we're going to touch on that a little bit here. But a certain disciple named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman. Her name is Eunice. Timothy's mom, Eunice. It says, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. You know, this is already a radical concept. So the mom, Eunice, she's a Messianic Jew. She's Jewish, but she believes that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jews today don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. There's some Messianic Jews. They're kind of the minority. But, you know, Jews... Predominantly don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They're waiting for the Messiah. Lowercase m. Because you know what Satan is going to do in accordance with Bible prophecy? It says that he's going to possess a guy. The only two people that are possessed by Satan. There's demonic possession. But in the Bible, there's only two people that are possessed by Satan. One of them was John the Baptist. Or <laughs> one of them. <laughs> forgive me for saying. One of them. You know, sometimes my tongue. It goes faster than my brain. It's like, you know, you're watching a, a movie, you're streaming a movie, and you see the little bar, like it's streaming, and it's like all the way full. But then, like, you know, you still have to watch the movie. You still have to watch the show, so it has to play. Sometimes that's how my mind is. I got all this stuff on my mind, but it's like my tongue it still has to, you know, catch up. So, you know, one of them, not John the Baptist, it was uh, Judas. You know, Satan uh, possessed Judas. This, the first guy in the Bible. The second guy is the Antichrist, the son of perdition, the lawless one. So in the Bible, you see demonic possession. We've already seen demonic possession already. 
And we're going to see more demonic possession. But there's only two people mentioned in the Bible that are possessed by Satan himself, the devil. And that's Judas Iscariot. And then uh, the son of perdition, the Antichrist, the coming Antichrist. You know, and so like Jews today, they're, they're waiting for a Messiah, lowercase m. And he, the, the Antichrist is going to deceive the Jews. You know, I watch a lot of uh, uh, Israel-based news. You know, a lot of news that's based all over the world, really. Uh, but Israel-based news. And, you know, I hear these rabbis speak and they always speak about, you know, this is the age of the Messiah. This is the days of the Messiah. You know, and it's, you know, Yehuda Glick, he's a, a, a particular individual in Israel who has, you know, major government authority. And he's a hardcore proponent of the third temple, building the third temple. And so the temple movement is gaining steam. There's already rabbis, people in political office that are saying, hey, we need to build the third temple. I mean, this is something that uh, um, <clears throat> the, uh, I forgot his name, but there's, you know, two, two uh, prime ministers in Israel. One of them is Netanyahu. And oh, Benny Gantz. Benny Gantz said it in a campaign. It could be a campaign promise, but just the fact that he mentioned, hey, we're going to build the third temple. Uh, over in, in Passover in 2020, one of the chief rabbis says, you know, this time next year we'll be having Passover at the, yeah, at the rebuilt temple. At the construction of the rebuilt, rebuilt temple. These are things that's very, very important because it's like, whoa, you know, and this peace agreement that's going to happen. And so like the Jews today, they believe that they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They will believe, you know, it's going to be sad because they will believe when you read the prophecies in Zechariah 12, 13 and 14, when Jesus Christ returns and he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, they're going to say, what are those, what are those wounds in your hands? And he's going to say, it was here I was wounded in the house of my friends. And that's when the scales are going to fall from their eyes, just like it happened with, with Paul. The scales are going to fall from their eyes and they're going to believe that, whoa, look at what we did to the Messiah. And they're going to repent and come to the Lord. And then they're going to king, they're going to put a crown on him, you know, announce him king, king of kings and lord of lords. The kingdoms of the world will be handed over to Jesus Christ. You look at the kingdoms of the world today, look at the presidencies of the world today, look at all the prime ministers, look at all the kingdoms, all these things. Divisions in the world, divisions among um, factions and ethnos against ethnos and nation against nation. It's temporal. All of it will be handed over to Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so all these, picture Timothy's house here. In verse 1, son of a certain Jewish woman who believes, so she's a Messianic Jew, she believes that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. But his father was Greek. You know, this is a pretty big deal because in accordance with the law, Jew has to be with Jew. So this alone, just, just this fact is a big deal. I mean, put yourself in, in, in Timothy's shoes. How he must have been made fun of. Oh, you have dirty blood. You're not, you're not a purebred. You know, poor Timothy. I don't know what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of flack he got. What kind of flack his mom got. The dad. But it's so cool to see this because it's like, why well, you have a Jewish woman who believes a Greek dad and they come together and they have a little boy. They name him Timothy. First mention of Timothy in the Bible, a future pastor. A future pastor. And look what happens here in verse 2. 
He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So being well spoken of, his witness, his witness preceded him. You see, people talk. Small towns. Remember, Lystra is kind of like, you know, he said in verse 1, says he came to Derby and Lystra, Paul and the, 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 the entourage of apostles. And they meet with, you know, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. And so look at in verse 2, it says that, you know, he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and not just Lystra. His witness, his countenance, it was also heard of in Iconium. And they spoke well of this Timothy kid. Oh, yeah, that's a good kid. What did they say about you? What did they say about your witness? You see, Iconium was the neighboring town. And it's like, wow, this is, this is a good kid. What was it about him? Timothy. I have to say something. We're going to take a little pause here in verse 2. And do a little multi-generational encouragement. And I have to say this. If you happen to be a female. You know, this is some you know hardcore exhortation for females. You know, hardcore exhortation for females. My sisters in Christ. So let's kick off here. Let's turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And what we're going to see, we're going to see the building blocks of what the Lord is doing in this home of this Jewish woman, her Greek husband, and their boy. We're going to see what's going on here in this home. So 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. And Paul says here, this is Paul's letter to Pastor Timothy. Some time has passed, but we're going to look and see what's really going on. Like, what are some references to, you know, old school days back when Timothy was younger? And Paul says here in verse 5, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith. You know, sometimes I love this translation. I read out of the New King James Version, and I love the New King James Version. But sometimes a lot of things get lost in the sauce. You know, when you look at the Greek, when you look at Hebrew, when you look at Aramaic, it's like, well, sometimes Scripture just blows up in your heart. Because like, whoa, this is so beautiful. The translation doesn't do it justice. But genuine faith here, it's faith without hypocrisy. It's real Christianity. Real biblical Christianity. You know, not the kind of Christianity that says, you know, hey, let's go to church, and then church is over. Hey, let's go get drunk. That's not biblical Christianity. That's not genuine Christianity. Because it's faith without hypocrisy. You know, you see kind of like, I know I talk a lot of smack, but you see mainline, you know, Christianity, and Christianity in air quotes, but you see mainline churches. It's like, you know, they'll have their Sunday sermon, which is fine. But it's like, you know, where's doctrine? Where's warning? Where's urging? Where's exhortation? And then what also do you see? You see all this sexual activity, a lot of drugs, a lot of pedophilia. And you have uh, 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 wolf pastors. You know, predator youth leaders. It's like, well, that's, that's hypocrisy. That's not, that's not biblical genuine faith. That's not biblical Christianity. And Paul says here, when I call to remembrance... The genuine faith that is in you. He's like, you're not a hypocrite, Timothy. Very interesting. Timothy's not a hypocrite and he's a pastor now. Very interesting. You know, especially in light of what we study in the Old Testament. 
The Lord doesn't like hypocrisy. He doesn't like it. And so he says here, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. You see? This is the first fruits of faith, which were in grandma. And then Mama Eunice. And it's so beautiful. And he says, and I am persuaded is in you also. I am convinced is in you also. What comforting assurance it is for a child at any age to hear this. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to young people from the age of seven to the age of 27. <laughs> That's a big window. But to be in these situations and, you know, to talk with them, you know, sometimes their their world is just rocked by whatever situation is, whatever instance, whatever, something that happened to them, something that just rocked their world. And to comfort a person when their parents are also walking with Christ and genuinely not like, you know, walking, going to church and then getting drunk, you know, going to church and going to strip clubs, going to church and getting high. That's not biblical Christianity. That's, that's biblical hypocrisy. And when I say biblical hypocrisy, I mean, you know, there's a price to pay for hypocrisy. But biblical Christianity is there's no hypocrisy. I mean, you're, you're going to have issues, you know. You're going to have, because we're wrestle with the flesh. But you're going to grow and mature and matriculate. You're not going to, you know, be held back, you know, be in second grade forever. You know, I had a kid like that in seventh grade, or I didn't have a kid like that, but I had a friend like that. When I was in seventh grade, I mean, we were all like little kids, you know, seventh graders, you know. But this guy was like an adult. <laughs> a beard and everything. It's like, whoa. You know, and so it's like, hey, what's your story, man? You know, and like deep voice and everything. We're all like, hey, what's your story? You know, he's got this big, deep voice. You know, it's like, yeah, I've been held back a couple of years. And it's such a trip. He's this big behemoth of a guy with, you know, full beard, not even like a little one, like, you know, peach fuzz. It was like full on. I was like, dang, okay, so. That doesn't happen. I mean, sometimes it happens in the faith. And don't let it happen. It's not a good thing. You know, it's not to, you know, you, you grow, you're on milk. Then, you know, you, you eat your Cheerios, your teeth grow, you get your Cheerios. And then you start to, and then all of a sudden you go back to milk. No, don't do that. I mean, it happens sometimes. It's, it's not the optimum situation. I mean, look at the church in Corinth. Paul even says, you know, I wish I could speak to you as adults, but you know what? I got to go back. You got to go back to milk again. I got to talk to you like your babies again. I mean, it's cool that the Lord has safety mechanisms in place with pastors and elders. But don't forget the church in Corinth, they did have pastors. They did have elders. What was going on in the church? Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? They fell asleep behind the wheel. And so Paul had to write a letter to them and say, hey, Check yourself. Put, you, put yourself in check. Your rejoicing isn't good, he says. You know, you come to church, you rejoice, you sing. He says, hey, that's not a good thing before the Lord. You know, I wonder if the church back then says, oh, don't judge me lest you be judged. Don't judge us, Paul. But Paul was calling them out on their hypocrisy. 
you know, corporate hypocrisy. He says, you guys need to repent. And you know what? They did. They did. And this genuine faith, in verse 5, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, I am convinced, in, is in you also. But to talk with a young kid whose world is rocked. And you know, sometimes, you know, they have basket case parents. Their family's a mess. And there's no real, like, reference point for a child, for a 20-year-old. To be encouraged by the walk of another person that's close to them. You know, and it kills me when that happens. It breaks my heart. But then there are times when you have grandparents or you have parents that are just on fire for the Lord. And they're strong in the Lord. Genuine faith. And to talk with a, you know, a 17-year-old kid, boy or girl. And say, you know what? I know your faith is rocked right now. But I'm convinced that your genuine faith, which reminds me of your grandma. Your genuine faith, which reminds me of your mama. And papa. And it's just like, whoa, they get like, their eyes are like big saucers. Even like as a 20-year-old. Whoa, you're telling me my faith is like hers? My faith is like his? And what an encouragement that is for a child to hear. You know, pretty hardcore message for parents too. Don't be a hypocrite. Because, you know, the choices that you make now and your walk with the Lord, it can very majorly impact your kids at a future time. I mean, the time when your kid is 10, a time when your kid is 15, a time when your kid is 20, 25, you know, and to talk with the kid and say, oh, you know what, your genuine faith reminds me of your mom's, reminds me of your dad's. And they're going to be like, whoa, this is so cool. And your witness will encourage them in future time. Such is the case. That's how Paul is encouraging Timothy. I shouldn't say that's how Paul is encouraging Timothy. That's how the Holy Spirit put it on Timothy's heart to pen down and to write and capture in Holy Scripture. You see, it's so beautiful how we capture these things and we pick up on these things. Remember, we're doing a little side study in the home of Timothy, a future pastor. And so, now let's look at verse 3. I know we started in 5, but let's look at verse 3. And Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. Look at the relationship that Paul and Timothy have. For Paul to say, wow, Timothy, I remember you in my prayers every night, every day. I'm praying for you. Get a little picture of Paul. Get a little picture of their relationship, Paul and Timothy. This beautiful, beautiful relationship. They're just so close. And here they're distant, but they're still close. You know, unity in Christ. Unity of mind in Christ. That's what the Lord can do inside of the body of Christ. Like, you know, pastor to pastor. The next generation. And Paul says, I remember you in my prayers night and day. You know, sometimes when, I, when, I, when we read about these passages about Paul praying, you know, I wish I could see his knees. 
I know that sounds crazy, but have you ever met like a construction worker and you shake their hands and their hands are like big gorilla hands? It's like, whoa, it's like, you know, like leather hand. They're not even wearing gloves. It feels like you're shaking a leather, a big, thick leather glove and you shake their hands like, dang. And you look at their hands like, whoa, these are like leather. They could like their hands are like hammers, you know, they could hammer nails with their pinky. But I want to see Paul's knees. I wish I could see Paul's knees. You know, calloused, just hour upon hour upon hour upon hour upon hour upon hour on his knees, on his face before the Lord. Calloused knees. This is so beautiful about Paul. The intimacy that he has with God, and it doesn't end there. Intimacy that he has with Timothy. He says, Timothy, I, I I remember you in my prayers every night, every day. Verse 4, greatly desiring to see you. You see, what a beautiful relationship between these two men, Timothy and Paul. Being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. You see, not just it's not just friendship, it's deeper, it's brotherhood. You see how beautiful this is? Remember, we're taking a little picture of the makeup of Timothy, you know, in our study in the book of Acts, it's like he's like little, like a young man, you know, maybe like a old kid, you know, I don't young man, old kid, 10 to 20-ish. And so here, you know, let's go to 2 Timothy now, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and look at what he says here, this is, you know, Paul is still exhorting Timothy. And he says this in verse 14, in 2 Timothy 3, 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Now, I have to say something here. Well, he says, knowing from whom you have learned them. Remember the influence that Paul had on Timothy? But then at the same time, don't forget about the influence of Grandma Lois and Mama Eunice. Grandma and mama. You know, if you are a female and you're raising kids and teaching them in the ways of the Lord, look at verse 14 here. You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. You know, in teaching them the word of the Lord to also give the assurance of the word of the Lord. And those two things, teaching the word of the Lord and giving the assurance of the word of the Lord. You know, Paul had his role. Paul definitely had his role. But never, ever forget the influence and the role of Grandma and Mama. Lois and Eunice. Very important to see these things. It's, I love, you know, when we have, I'm not a fan of topical studies, to be honest with you. I'm not like a huge fan of them. But from time to time, the Holy Spirit, it says, you know, I should say the Holy Spirit, it says, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit He says, You know, let's do a little side study and talk about the home of Timothy. You see, it's what an encouragement it is to the word, to the the body, to go through the word of God and be encouraged in the word. You see, he says in verse 15 now, he says, And that from childhood, brephos in the Greek. This is a huge time window. Brephos in the Greek, when it says from childhood, it translates, this is a big time period. It's 
before being born. You know, being unborn to a young child. That's a big time period. It's so cool, you know, to see a mama's belly get all huge. You know, and there's like a little baby in there. Sometimes there's two, sometimes there's three or more. It's like, wow, you know, teach your kids. Let them hear the word when they're inside, you know. Let them let them hear song. Let them hear hymns. You know, read the Bible. Let them hear these things. I love going through passages like this. And then they're born. Keep teaching. He says in verse 15, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. You know, I talk to parents all the time. You know, they're like, oh yeah, they're just kids. You know, the kids are acting like little dorks. And they're, you know, very disrespectful, disobedient to their parents. It's like, oh yeah, they're just kids. Let them be kids. No, you know, sometimes I wonder if that's an excuse. How about you spank your kid so that your kid learns not to disrespect your authority? You know, take your kid. I don't know. You know, like I said the other day, don't beat him to a bloody pulp. But, you know, lay him over your lap and give him a good old, you know, smack. And he's going to cry, but he's going to feel your sting. And he's going to feel it or she's going to feel it. You know, little kids. You're going to teach them. Hey, don't respect, don't disrespect my authority. Not in a mean way, but as an act of love. But you hear all these parents nowadays, oh yeah, they're just kids, let the kids be kids. Look, they're little dorks. Running around, they have no sense of authority. Very disrespectful. Very disrespectful ruffians. And if they don't respect your authority as a parent, you think they're going to grow up respecting other authorities? You know, a law enforcement authority, the authority of a job, an employer? And what about the authority of God in their lives? So don't come up with these excuses like, oh yeah, they're just kids. No, teach your kids. Teach them well. Teach them the ways of the Lord, giving them the assurance of the Word of God in their lives. And I don't mean, you know, you know, don't be, when I say spank your kid, you know, spank your kid, but you know, don't beat them. That's going to come when they're teenagers. (laughs) So look what happens here. It says, from childhood, brefos, don't forget the brefos. That's that's a long period of time. You have known the Holy Scriptures. You see, Paul had a role in teaching him the Holy Scriptures. But don't forget Eunice and Lois, Grandma and Mama, which are able to make you wise for for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You see? We're taking a little picture at the makeup of Timothy. Look at what he's known from childhood, the Holy Scriptures. You know, Paul's influence, but then, you know, grandma and mama. But then at the same time, this is like building blocks for a future pastor. A future pastor. This is so beautiful to see. Now let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Verse 14. And Paul still writing to young Pastor Timothy. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. 
very interesting. When you start to piece this together, put the puzzle together. I mean, have you ever put a puzzle together and you see these, you know, you empty the box and you see like, wow, well, you know, this is going to take forever. But then you start piecing it, you get the corners, you know, the, the edges, you start putting the middle piece together, you know, and it's like, wow, finally it comes together and you see this beautiful picture. That's kind of what we're doing today. We're taking these puzzle pieces and we're connecting them, putting them together, and we get a picture here of what's happening. The scriptures were taught to him like young, young age. I would argue in the womb even. The scriptures being, you know, spoken to him. And he comes out of the womb and, you know, the scriptures being spoken to him doesn't stop, doesn't cease. Singing hymns. And it doesn't just end there. You know, at some point, in, you know, when he was young, the gift that was in him, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the eldership, See, this is like, wow, somebody prophesied. Whoever it was, there was a prophet in their midst who said, Timothy, you know, thus saith the Lord. And then, you know, in that prophecy, it was fulfilled in the life of Timothy. But what about the day that prophet was spoke, that, that prophet started to speak? And put yourself in Timothy's shoes. Going to church, he's sitting there, thinks it's a regular church day. And then all of a sudden the prophet says, you know, I have a message from the Lord. And everybody quiets down like, what? Okay, like, what is it? And then he says, Thus saith the Lord. There's a future pastor in our midst. And everybody's like, Wow, it's me. You know, it's my son. It's this guy. He says, No, Timothy. What? Timothy? You know, he's a Jewish mom and a Greek dad. That kid? You see, it's like, Well, how beautiful this is working. Coming together, it's like, Whoa, this is so cool. So there was a prophet in their midst who said, you know, thus saith the Lord. Where's Timothy? You know, oh, here's Timothy. He's going to be a pastor one day. And it's so cool because the church, they don't like make fun of him or anything like that. They're not like, you know, maybe I shouldn't have said it like that. Like, you know, his mom's a Jew and his dad's Greek, you know, but maybe there was somebody in the church who had that thought in his head. And then all of a sudden the elders come. Hey, let's lay hand on Timothy. Let's lay hands on him. And let's pray for him. Lord, this prophet has spoken. You know, and let this be. Let this come to pass in young Timothy. What if Timothy was a five-year-old? What if he was a ten-year-old? I don't know. And I kind of love how Scripture doesn't really clearly identify. Because it makes you wonder. For your own five-year-old. For your own ten-year-old. It makes you wonder, and I love that. Because for me, it instills hope for the next generation. You see how beautiful this is, the church? You know, one body with many parts. And so turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This charge... I commit to you, son Timothy. You know, Paul has no biological relationship with Timothy, but he says, son Timothy, tekron in the Greek. And it translates as a produced child, where you could say like, you know, 
this little kid right here is my Tecron. If you're the biological mom or dad, this, this kid is my Tecron. This is my produced child. And that's the word that Paul uses for Timothy because he's speaking about in the faith. In the faith. You see that relationship that Paul and Timothy have? This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies. So, not just one. What we read previously, multiple. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. This is a military term. But it's different in terms of, you know, uh, 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 like just fighting. This is to... To serve in a military campaign, not just join, but to straight up go to war. I mean, you see kids like if, you know, like in times of peace, they sign up for the military. You know, but what about in times of war? Do they still sign up for the military or do they go to Canada and they denounce their American citizenship because they're scaredy cats? You know, and it's like, well, I don't want to go to war. So, you know, I'm not an American anymore. I become a Canadian citizen. You know, it happened a lot during the Vietnam age, Vietnam days. And they implemented the draft. Some guys went willingly. Said, I don't need to be drafted. I'm signing up. The other people got drafted and they got drafted. They said, I'm not American. I'm Canadian. The other guys got drafted. They said, okay, you know, I'd rather go to college, but I guess I'll go. Some of them died. Because war was imminent. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's to serve in a military campaign, not just join. Joining is a piece of cake. But to join knowing that you're going to go to battle, straight up hand-to-hand -hand combat. That's what this, how this translates in verse 18, wage the good warfare. You see, from a young age, this prophet of the Lord came and says, hey, this guy's going to be a pastor. Not just a prophet, you know, multiple prophecies made were concerning Timothy. Now Paul is, you know, exhorting him. It's now fulfilled. Timothy's a young pastor. And Paul writes him a letter. Hey, wage the good warfare. He calls him son Timothy. Like he's his own. You know, sometimes I wonder. It's like, you know, you have the sons and daughters in faith. And it's. I'll just leave it at that. Son Timothy. You see, it's so beautiful. You see the closeness that Paul and Timothy had? And so let's look at verse, uh, um, or, or, or in uh, chapter 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, now chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Remember, we're putting together a puzzle here. We're putting the puzzle. And you know, when it's all done, said and done, we're going to see like, whoa, this is hardcore. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, a beloved son. There it goes again. A produced child in accordance to the faith. A beloved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let's look at verse 6. Still in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Therefore, I remind you. I love this because Paul's like, you know, you know, Timothy's a young pastor and he's not stopping. You know, Paul's not stopping and exhorting him, encouraging him. And just say, hey, I just want to remind you, Timothy. 
you know, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You see, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Translate says self-control to be you know, uh, to be disciplined and self-control. Remember, he's engaging in warfare, spiritual warfare, young Pastor Timothy. And this word for sound mind is to be disciplined and have self-control. It's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And remember the laying hands, the, 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 the laying on of hands of the eldership. And here Paul says, you know, through the laying on of my hands. So Paul laid his hands on Timothy as well. Say, hey, you know, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. You see? And so let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 now. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is a little finger exercise going through all these passages. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. He says, but you be watchful. Another military term. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry you see i don't know how old timothy was and when he, you know in second timothy chapter four i don't know but i know at a young age you know look at what happened look at his you know his, his mom his grandma you know sowing seeds teaching him comforting him giving him the assurance and then all of a sudden you see you know that somebody prophesied hey this kid's going to be a pastor. The Lord is going to call him out to ministry. Or not the Lord is going to call him. The Lord is calling him out. The Lord is straight up calling this kid out. And here, you know, years later, Paul's writing him a letter. Hey, fulfill your ministry. Be watchful. That's what I love about Paul. You know, he's an old man. When he was, especially in this old, this Second Timothy letter. Paul's an old man and he's still encouraging Timothy. The next generation of righteousness. Because when Paul dies, you know who's left? Timothy, Titus. You see? And so he says, fulfill your ministry. And so uh, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse... 12, verse 12, let no one despise your youth. Let no one look down upon your youth is what he's telling them. So he's a young pastor, a young pastor. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. You see, in purity. You see the example, you know that that Paul was to Timothy and that Timothy is to the body. Remember, young pastor. And so now let's turn to Philippians. I thought we were sticking to the Timothys. No, let's go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 19. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. 
He says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state, for I have no one, no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. That's Timothy. Of all the people in Paul's circle, all the pastors, all the elders, all the deacons, all the bishops, all everybody. But what does he say of young Timothy? I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state except Timothy. So he says in verse 9, hey, I'm going to send you Timothy. There's nobody like him. I have nobody like him. You see this beautiful intimacy that between Paul and Timothy. To, I don't have words to describe it. But it reminds me of Moses and Joshua. It reminds me of even like Jesus and Peter when they're having their uh, interaction after the, the, when they're eating the fish. And Peter's like, you know, Lord, you know, like, I'm not going to deny you. And the Lord gave them, you know, told him how he would die. All these moments of beautiful intimacy, but then what's the purpose behind it? You know, these moments of beautiful intimacy, you know, and it's like Jesus with Peter and then Peter became a messenger. You know, Moses with Joshua and then Joshua was second. And then the next guy after Moses died, he was the next one in command. Given by God. And then all of a sudden, Paul with Timothy and then young Pastor Timothy. And Paul is saying, hey, there's, I have nobody like him. Who would sincerely care for your state? It's one thing, you know, when somebody is fulfilling a calling of the Lord, that's, you know, that's one thing. And, and that's not bad. I'm not speaking negatively about Barnabas. Barnabas is surely a beautiful man, Peter. And we're going to see some ladies now in, the, in, 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 in our study in uh, Acts 16. More females. And, you know, we saw some females in the latter chapters of uh, of the Gospels. The hero women, you know, when all men were all chickens. And you hear me speak highly of Moses' wife. You know, how beautiful she She just took a stand for the Lord. Said, Not on my watch, you know, and they threw the foreskins of their babies at his feet. Because Moses, the Lord wanted to kill Moses. Because he was breaking the laws. You know, Moses, if you're going to give the law, you gotta, you can't be a hypocrite. The Lord doesn't like hypocrisy. And Moses was going to go out in obedience to the Lord. Moses was going to do what the Lord asked him to do, but he broke the law. His kids weren't circumcised. And so his, you know, Zipporah, she had to step in. And she said, you know, you're going to kill us. You're going to put, you know, make God against us. And so she cut the skins off and threw them at her, her husband's feet. And praise be the Lord. You know, look what the Lord did with Moses. And what if, uh, what if Zipporah didn't do that? 
what would have been said for the work of the Lord through Moses. A lot of wives, you know, they get pushed into a corner, you know. Wife, submit to your husband. You know, and it's heavy-handed. And you see a lot of wives were robots, slaves to their husbands. Stupid husbands. You see, wives were slaves in their own home. In their own home. In their own so-called sanctuary. What's supposed to be a sanctuary. In their own so-called sanctuary, they're slaves. You know, following the... Or a slave to the dictator husband. Stupid men. But you see, it's like, you know, what what if Zipporah took that mindset? Oh, I'm going to, you know, hardcore submit to my husband. And Moses, oh yeah, the Lord says that I'm going to go do this. So I'm going to go do it. Yes, husband. Yes, husband. Go do it. And she's like, mm-mm. You're breaking the law. You know, cut the foreskins. You know, you could have killed us. That's what's so beautiful about going through Scripture. And Paul here is saying, you know, when I say like to fulfill a calling, it's beautiful. But when you have a person who's concerned about souls, that's special. And I mean like when they're standing before the Lord. When you have a person who cares for a soul that is standing before the Lord. That's special. That's special. That's how pastors should be. That's how elders should be. That's how Paul was. That's how Timothy is. And I'm not I'm not saying that Barnabas wasn't that way. I'm not saying that Peter wasn't that way or John or James. I'm not saying that any of these guys were not like that. But it was a little bit more amplified, maybe a lot a bit amplified with Paul and with Timothy. Because Timothy or Paul is saying, I have nobody like, like-minded of all. Think of Paul's circle. All the heavyweights that were in his camp. The straight up, all the heavies that were in his camp. But there was something special about Timothy. Something special about Timothy. Now let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And let's look at verse 5 again. Let's circle back. Let's complete the puzzle. And Paul says here in verse 5, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith, remember faith without hypocrisy, that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. And you know what's so cool about this? You know, I talk with a lot of women where they're like, you know, kind of feminist, you know, and they're like, why do men have to be pastors? Why men only? Why can't women be pastors? Well, you know, that's like a four-square church. They have, you know, you know, Pastor Jane, you know, it's like, well, that's not biblical. You know, Pastor Jane, you know, you get to church and you have the four-square church and you have a female pastor teaching men. The Bible says don't do that. You get a lot of like feminists, the feminist movement who say, yeah, women like equality. 
Well, you know, there's equality in Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, you know, Jew, Greek. It's, it's all one in Christ. But there's still order. There's, there's still order. It's like, I like to think of the military, like in the Marine Corps. You know, you have black, white, Asian, uh, and, you know, more. But, you know, just three for sake of argument. And then you have different ranks. You have the enlisted. You have the officers. And you have different ranks within the two. And then you have the command structure, you know, from general to all the way down to lieutenant. And then you have the rank structure from sergeant major all the way down to private. You know, different jobs that guys do and females do. So these these different functions and there's order within the ranks, but every single one of them is still a United States Marine. Everybody. Male, female, rank structure, all of them, you know, that's what it's like in Christ. We're all Christians. We're all in Christ. But under that umbrella, there's still structure. There's still order. What is the order? In accordance with the word of God, women cannot teach men. I'm just a messenger. Don't hate me. And so you go to a four-square church, you know, Pastor Jane walks out, Pastor Jennifer walks out, and you're like, what? I'm out of here. You know, this isn't biblical. Then they'll turn on their feminist side. Well, you know, and they'll say, oh, you know, we're supposed, God, you know, likes equality, all these things. Well, you got equality all wrong, biblically. Or you go to Episcopal church, you sit down in the pews and, you know, Pastor Jane walks out. And come to find out, she used to be a man. She was born a man and turned into Pastor Jane. You're like, whoa, this is crazy. And you walk out, I'm done. I'm talking about the Bible, the truth of God's holy word. I don't, the world has its idea of what's okay. But the Bible says other things. And a lot of women get on my case. How come you're like this? How come you say this? How come you say this? Well, this is, I'm not just saying it. I'm like pulling it out of my hat. It's written. It is written. Thus saith the Lord. Look, here's chapter. Here's verse. Let's study this. We can have a study if you want. But this is what the Word of God says. And you know, an exhortation to my sisters in Christ I kind of think a better ministry, you know, a lot of women, like, you know, I want to be a pastor. I want to be an elder. Well, biblically, you can't. But look at the building blocks of what happened with Timothy. With grandma and with mama. Here in verse five of first Timothy. Second Timothy, second Timothy, chapter one, Look at verse five. The genuine faith that is in you is telling to Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. You see, imagine the faith of Jacobed to have a freshly born baby and only nurse him for a short period of time and all of a sudden have to take him, put him in a basket, put him in the water among the reeds, and take the hands off the basket and walk away. The mother of Moses. Think about that faith 
which you know begets more faith. You know, you read uh, Hebrews eleven, and you read about the faith of Moses, but you read a couple verses earlier, and the faith of the parents. Consider that faith. And in, you know, the Lord is good. The Lord is merciful and gracious. And all of a sudden, you know, she was they, the two were brought together again. She was able to nurse, you know, she was able to nurse her baby. You see, God's favor. Look at Lois and Eunice, Grandma and Mama. Look at the seeds that they planted inside of little Timothy. You know, maybe Eunice had a big old belly when she was born, when when she was carrying uh, uh, Timothy. Well, I mean, she did. I, I shouldn't say maybe, but she did. Imagine her singing hymns to him. A little tiny baby the Lord is forming, forming him in the mother's womb. And there she is, you know, singing song to her baby. You know, reading scripture to her baby. Speaking about Jesus Christ to her baby. A Jewish woman who believes in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. That alone, that's like who's married to a Greek guy. Uh, see how radical this is? And these building blocks. You know, here, Timothy, I'm going to give you the word. Here, Timothy, let's pray. Here, Timothy, let's sing song. And then grandma comes in. Hey, let's do the same. And then mama comes in, let's do the same. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to do these things. And then they go to church one day. A prophet is in their midst. And the prophet says, I have a message from the Lord. Everybody quiets down. Thus saith the Lord, this young Timothy will be a pastor one day. What? I'm going to talk about, put, put yourself in grandma's shoes and mama's shoes for a moment. And if you're in that church, Talk about a reward of your faith, a reward of your uh, commitment. That's why, you know, you see a lot of women like, I want to be a pastor. There's like a pride, you know. Uh, why, can't, why does the Bible say women can't teach men? That's so sexist. You know what a better ministry is? The building blocks of the pastor. The building blocks of the elder. The building blocks of the deacon. The building blocks of the Bible teacher. The building blocks of the worship leader. In my opinion, I, the Bible doesn't say it's a better ministry, but in my opinion, I think it's the better ministry. Because it's like, you know, you're like in the inception of something that's beautiful, that's spiritually brewing. That's the home of Timothy. That's the home of Timothy. We're not done with the. I said, you know, let's put this puzzle, let's complete this puzzle, but it's not really complete because we're going to see it a little bit more. So we did this little sidestep through Timothy and a little bit in Philippians, but let's go back to Acts 16 now. Let's go back to Acts 16. In verse 1. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. What in the world is Timothy doing as a little disciple already, you know? 
You might have asked that question in your mind, like when we first started. What? How in the world is young Timothy a disciple already? He's so young. But then with this puzzle that was assembled, and then going back to this, you kind of understand like, oh, I get it now. He's a little pupil. He's a little mathetes, a learner and pupil named Timothy. Timotheos. Timotheos. Dear to God. That's what his name means. Dear to God. You see? And you see the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. That's Eunice. But his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Look at his witness. Look at his witness. Can you imagine his parents? You know, they're walking in town, going to the grocery store. Oh, yeah, how's Timothy doing? Good. You know, he came over to my house the other day, and, you know, he just blessed my socks off. You know, he was just giving me comfort and just comforting me and the Lord. I just want to tell you that, you know, you have a good kid on your hands. What a man. What a blessing he'd be to his parents. You know, he's well spoken of in Lystra and Iconium, the next town over. And so look at what happens here in verse 3. In verse 3 says, Paul wanted to have him, or you know, this is Timothy now. Paul wanted to have Timothy go on with him. And he took him. So let's pause here for a moment. He took him. You know, this speaks a lot about, you know how I say like, you know, the church in the book of Acts is different than the church that you see today. Say, for example, you have a kid. You know, or two kids, <laughs> or more. You know, say for example, you have a kid, and you're raising him up in the Lord. You're raising her up in the Lord, and then all of a sudden, you know, the kid comes to you and says, "You know what? You know, I want to learn more of the Lord." But you're like, um, "I'm giving you all I got." You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm at full capacity. That's why, like, homeschooling is scary because, like. You know, for me, if I had a kid and I had to homeschool, I'd be kind of scared because I'm kind of dumb when it comes to academics. You know, like, you know, a kid, hey, dad, what's five times five? Like, I don't know. Ask your phone. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'd take it more seriously and like go to school myself to learn all these things. But it'd be scary to homeschool. You know, there's that scary aspect. You don't want to raise dorks. You know, you don't want to put dummies into the world. You know, some parents do, but that's on them. You know what, you want to, you know, Jesus Christ says, occupy until I come. So you want to train your kids well and teach them academically and teach them in the word, teach them in the Lord, giving them uh, the assurance of the word of God. So what if a kid comes to you? I want to know more about Jesus Christ. I want to know more about the Bible. What would you do? Who would you ask to take your kid under their wing? Who would you ask? If I had a kid? There's like one or two guys, men. Everybody else, I don't care who they are. I don't care. They're the head pastor of mega church, elders. At the, I could care less. I'm not going to put my kid under you. For me, there's like two guys that I would do that. I mean, I would ask them, hey, you know what? My kid wants to know more about the Lord. Can you kind of take them under your wing and teach them? I don't know if they'd say yes. I'd ask them, you know, can you pray about it? Because, you know, my kid really wants to serve the Lord. That's why I say the book of Acts is different. 
than the church today. Who could you do that with? Who could you ask, hey, can you take my kid? Or if you could ask you, hey, I want to learn more. I mean, what university could you send to? Okay, yeah, I'll send you to this university. I couldn't, I wouldn't say, if I had a kid, I would not send them to university for the, the school of theology. Because theology today in university, it's twisted. It's twisted. Go look at Fuller, Fuller Theological Seminary. Look at all the theological seminaries. Look at what they teach. Things that aren't aligning with Scripture. Another indicator of the last days. Sound doctrine will go by the wayside to those who are falling by the wayside and who will fall by the wayside unless they repent. Your kid comes to you and says they want to learn more about the Word of God and you're going to send them to university? No way. No way. There's two guys. One of them is iffy. One of them is a sure thing. I would go to him and say, hey, my son wants to learn the Bible and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of maxed out. Can you take him under your wing? You know, maybe he can, you know, serve in your church, serve in, you know, whatever. But can you teach him, you know, all these things? Two guys, one of them is iffy for me. That's why I say it's a different church in Acts. Different church. Look what happens here in verse 3. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took them so the parents were cool with it. The parents were like, yes, brother Paul. It's like, remember, they were in church one day. And a prophet came and says, Timothy's going to be a pastor. I mean, what a blessing that would have been for the parents to hear that. Wow, Timothy's going to be a pastor one day. But then at the same time, kind of scary. Like, you know, like, Lord, I'm maxed out. How is this going to happen? You know, that's what's so cool about a relationship with the Lord. You don't, All you have to know is the who. You don't have to know the when, the why, the how. All you have to know is the who, and it's Jesus Christ. You don't have to choreograph things. You don't have to manipulate. You see that a lot in the church today. Somebody says, oh, the Lord just put in my heart for X, Y, Z to happen. So you stand over here. You stand over here. You move over here. And you, you know, way back here because you're going to mess it up. That's choreography. That's manipulation. That's not the hand of God. That's the hand of man. And so all of a sudden, you know, everything comes into alignment. And then, you know, the parents, the Greek dad and the Jewish mom. Hey, Paul, brother Paul, we have a situation over here. You know, and Paul, Paul and Timothy, you see the very early stages of this interaction between the two. This is like the beginning of their relationship. Remember, we read passages where Paul says, you know, my son, Timothy. We read passages where Paul says, there is no one like-minded who sincerely cares for your soul. Sincerely cares for you when you're standing before the Lord. And I have no one else like that except for Timothy. And look at all the people around Paul. All the elders, all the pastors. And so you see divine appointment. All of this stuff is happening right here. 
Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. And so you're like wondering, like, what? Like circumcision? Remember, the dad is Greek. If the dad was Jewish, he would be circumcised because circumcision was in accordance with, you know, uh, 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 Judaism, in accordance with the Old Testament, Torah. It kind of, you know, it, it speaks a lot about uh, um, uh, 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 Eunice because Timothy wasn't circumcised. You know, it speaks a lot about her denial of the law as a Jew. Because, you know, in accordance with the law, circumcision on the eighth day. And Eunice was like, no, I'm not going to do that. It speaks a lot about her denial of the law. You know, these beautiful women is like, wow. These, You know, when I say beautiful women, and I, I mentioned this when I studied our hero women. You know, when we did our study in the you know, latter chapters of the book of Matthew. And I spoke of the hero women, these beautiful, beautiful women. And if you're in your mind, you're thinking like, man, what is he talking about? Well, you beautiful women. Whoa, you know, you're married. No, you know, first of all, repent. Get your mind out of the gutter because my mind's not where your mind is. But when I say beautiful women, it's like, wow, these are like heroes in the Bible. Just the fact that Timothy was uncircumcised speaks highly of Sister Eunice and her denial of the law. And I love it. And so, you know, we have a situation here because Timothy is uncircumcised. And so Paul circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. Now you read this and you're like, okay, is Paul appeasing the Jews? Well, there's safety behind it because remember the Jews killed our Lord, you know, in accordance with, you know, what the religious leaders were saying, you know, crucify him, remember? They, I shouldn't say the Jews killed our Lord because the Romans did too. Both Jew and Gentile had a hand in the death of, of Jesus Christ, the physical death, but it was all prophesied, events that were supposed to happen. And the good shepherd, you know, he brings people back to himself, both Jew and both Gentile, both Jew and Gentile. So here's, why is Paul circumcising? Is he appeasing the Jews? Well, there's safety behind it, number one. Because it was very dangerous. You know, word started to spread, this guy with Timothy, or this guy with Paul, this young Timothy. His, mom's a, his mom is Jewish, his dad is Greek. He's probably not circumcised. Let's, you know, if he's uncircumcised, then in accordance with the law, we'd stone him. So there's safety behind it. And safety behind it, not to appease the Jews but for safety for the next generation of righteousness. Hey, Timothy, I'm going to keep you safe because you know what? I'm going to get old one day and I'm getting older and older and I'm going to fade away into the sunset. And you know what? You're the next. You're going you're gonna to preach the good news. You're going to be a pastor. You see, it's so... I mean, it's unbelievable to fathom what's happening here. And we're just like in verse 3. I mean, we had our little, you know, puzzle study. But then what about Timothy's heart as well? People would cry out, oh, he's just a half-breed. Ah, he's just a half-breed. It kind of speaks about the fatherly role of Paul too. Because to say, you know, I'm going to take you under my wing. I'm a Jew. And so we're going to circumcise you. 
There's some hardcore spiritual implications of what's happening. It's not about just the circumcision. If we were, if we were talking literal, you know, about the circumcision, it's just like, you know, a, a cut and then, you know, what's that all about? But there's deep spiritual implications here in terms of, man, look at the mom, her denial of the law. Beautiful. I mean, she's on my list. All these people, I, I, I want to meet these people. I can't wait to meet these people. The marriage supper. Everybody's going to be sitting down, chowing down, having a meal, the marriage supper. I'm going to be running around all over the place. Eunice. Oh, I love you. Let me give you a hug. You know, John the Baptist. Oh, John, I love you so much. It's going to be so, I can't wait. I can't wait. There's so many people. I mean, of course the Lord, you know. There's so many. It's like, wow, what a reunion that's going to be. And so look what happens here. Because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. So, you know, it already spread. It's not that it was going to spread. It already spread. Oh, he's just a half-breed. He's not pure. You know, they're going to go to synagogue. And Paul's going to go and enter a synagogue just like he had in other towns and have Timothy under his wing. You know how dangerous that would be for him? Say, hey, Timothy can't be here. He has to wait outside. He can't come inside. He's just a half-breed. You see, so there's a lot of things happening here. In teaching Timothy, in showing Timothy the way, in protecting Timothy, and investment in the next generation of righteousness you see in verse 3 or verse 4 and as they went through the cities they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and elders at jerusalem and remember the decree was like no circumcision like we studied last week no circumcision you know it's so cool because it's like wait a second you know it's Remember, there were these couple Pharisees that went into town. They weren't called by the Lord. They weren't sent out by the church. They just wanted to go out and tell people, hey, you can't be a Christian unless you're circumcised. And so that fire started to spread. False doctrine started to spread. And so what Paul starts to do, this little entourage, which now includes Timothy, they start to put out these fires. You know, and you start to wonder, well, wait a second. If it says no circum, if the decree is no circumcision, why did Paul circumcise Timothy? Well, for the reasons I just explained. They were still going into synagogue. In the synagogues, you know, and proclaiming Jesus Christ and teaching Jesus Christ. Remember, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. And then at the same time, you know, Paul is showing him, showing Timothy how to fight. How to fight. And so look at what happens here. Uh, which uh, And as they went through the cities, they delivered to, to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. Paul was teaching him how to fight, like the art of fighting. And Timothy got to witness how to of fighting. In verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. You see? The Holy Spirit is adding. Remember, Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, you know, all we can do is plant or water. It's God that gives the increase. And you see what's happening here in verse 5? God is giving increase. 
They're planting and they're watering. And it's not just the churches were strengthened. The churches were strengthened in the faith, belief. Faith was growing. So you become a new believer. And it's like, boom, your faith has already jumped. But then don't let it just stay there. Your faith can grow more and more and more and more. You know, by the time you've been walking five years in the Lord, ten years in the Lord... Your faith is like skyrocketed. That's how it should be. And I, I hate saying that's how it should be. I'm very cautious when I say that's how it should be or that's how things should be. If I ever say that, it's in alignment with Scripture. I'm very cautious. I try to be cautious about saying, hey, this should be like this because I don't want to inject my opinion and how, th- how I think things ought to be. That's what the word is, you know. What does the word say things should be like? Remember, Satan is the one who wants you on milk. Well, Satan wants to give you cyanide too. But if you're going to go to church, if you're going to proclaim to be a Christian, he wants you to be on milk. And he's effective in getting that. What do I say? Don't let him. Don't let him have his way. Fight. Not just, you know, Sign up. Sign your name on a paper. Okay, I join. Join in a time of war. When everybody's, you know, proclaiming Canadian citizenship. Everybody's too chicken to fight. You know, the war is raging. Spiritually speaking, the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well and effective. Very, very effective. Who's going to sign up now? Who's going to count the cost now? Not to sing kumbaya, not to hold hands and, you know, sing songs and hold hands and sing kumbaya. To straight up put on the battle gear and fight. It's a last day's church. And so look what happens here in verse um, 6. It says, now when they had gone through... Phrygia and the region of Galatia. So they went west a little bit and then they cut east again. It says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to teach the word in Asia. You see, they're being obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. God is the one who's doing the moving. He is the one who's directing. And what's so beautiful about the fact that young Timothy is with them is that he's experiencing this. He's experiencing, I mean, Put yourself in Timothy's shoes where, you know, there's a prophecy that, you know, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to be used of the Lord in a pastor capacity. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to preach. You know, the Lord is going to call me to preach. The Lord is going to call me to teach. Okay, let's go preach and let's go teach. But then, you know, you see the sensitivities of the Holy Spirit. Paul and this little entourage like, no, you know, we want to do this. We want to be used of the Lord. But no, how is the Holy Spirit directing us? They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into Asia. You see, like, why were they going to Asia? Well, historically, you know, when you, you see the diaspora of the apostles, and I don't mean diaspora like running away scared. I mean the spreading out of the disciples. Historically, you start to see, you know, some went to Africa, some went to Asia. So, you know, other apostles had certain ministries. We just don't have it in the canon of Scripture. We'll find that one day at the marriage supper. We're going to find out in paradise. 
we're going to know, like, wow, you know, Thomas did this. The doubting Thomas. You know, I'm like, Thomas, I'm sorry. You know, when I was in my uh, uh, corrupt flesh, you know, how do you like my glorified body now? But when I, when I was in my corrupt flesh, I called you doubting Thomas. Because everybody called you doubting Thomas. And that was just a little fraction. Look at what you did for the Lord. You see, it's so cool how the Lord teaches us all these things. Remember, like we had our study on Wednesday, you know, always have this heavenly mindset, this eternal mindset. You must, in the last days, have this eternal mindset. You must. Don't think about, you know, in the here and now only. Of course, you know, we live in the here and now. But think about the eternal. It will help you in your choices that you make. Somebody says, hey, let's go do crack. No way. I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm going to Zion. Oh, let's go to the strip club. No way. You're crazy. I'm going to Zion. Here, come with me. We're going to church. You see? You're a fisherman, a warrior fisherman. And so they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And remember, young Timothy is experiencing this thing. These, all these, because he's the next generation of righteousness, a future pastor. And remember, the building blocks. You know, mama and grandma, the building blocks. In verse 7, after they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. You see, again. So they were forbidden to go to Asia, and now they're forbidden to go to Bithynia. And they're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And they're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Lord. They're following. Just like in the Old Testament, when the Lord, we haven't really got there yet. You know, the Lord is, He told Moses, the Lord told Moses, I'm not going to go with you guys. You guys go on to the land of milk and honey, but I'm not going to be with you. And then, you know, Moses interceded and the Lord says, okay, I'm going to go with you. But here we have to add the additive of sacrifice because there needs to be blood atonement for your sin. You guys need to be right with me. That's what the Lord, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the Lord told Moses. You guys need to be right with me. And so he implemented all these, gave Moses the blueprints. This is what you got to do. This is how you build this. This is how you, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're seeing it now. The actual, you know, in, in the law and our study in Leviticus. And then we're going to see how the Lord goes with them, travels with them. And as, as they travel, the Lord says, okay, go here, go here, go here. And, you know, the Lord is directing their steps. Good ways and bad. It's all good, but when I say and bad, you know, you're going to see because of disobedience, because they're hard-hearted, a two-week journey became a 40-year journey. We're going to see that. But the same thing happens with us. Sometimes there's such easy concepts to learn. But if we don't yield to the Holy Spirit, if we don't yield to the Word of God, we'll learn it in 50 years. I hope it never happens for any of us. I've told the story before of this documentary I saw where this guy who was dying, he was HIV positive and he was dying of AIDS and he grew up in the church. He was a Christian. As a young kid, he grew up in the church. And you know, somewhere along the ways as a teenager, you know, he had his low self-esteem, you know, kind of a nerdy kid, you know, and he was a target for predators. That's what the predators do. These sick pedophiles, these, these disgusting freaks, you know, and they prey on children. 
I don't like that. You know, I have a hard, I have to be very careful with my anger because I'll kill him. You know, I hate to say it like that, but you know, somebody who's molesting a child, saying, you know, we're going to call the police because it's safer for you. Because I don't like that. You take a child and you molest a child. You use a child, a, a, a lamb of the Lord, and you use him for your sexual pleasure. Pleasure. You use her for your sexual pleasure. I mean, I'm revealing my flesh too because the first thing that comes in my head is, you know, kill him. You know, so the second thing that comes in my head is, okay, call the cops. Call the police. You see? But then, you know, I was watching this documentary and that's how this little nerdy kid, he was a nerd, you know, and low self-esteem. And, you know, that's what these predators like because they give them their self-esteem. They also give them some other things too. And so this kid turned homosexual. And the whole time his parents were like, no, you know, come to church, you know, repent, you know, get back to Christ. And it got so intense that finally he just left. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm going to run away. So he ran away. And did the whole sexual, he was like involved with all kinds of different sexual things. Homosexual. And he got AIDS. And in this documentary, he's dying of AIDS. And his body, you see, he's all skinny. He's got all these marks all over his body. His face, it just it doesn't even look human anymore. And he says, I repented. I'm a Christian now. You know, and he's been restored. He has restoration in Christ. Yeah, his life in this world is fading. And, you know, he's reaping what he has sown, as had sown as a homosexual, former homosexual. He denied those things. But praise be to the Lord. His eternity is secure in Jesus Christ as a former homosexual. Him, you know, as it is, eternity is secure in Christ. But then he said, you know, I wanted to share this with you because, you know, he says, you know, I could have learned this lesson a long time ago if I just listened to my parents, if I just listened to my pastor, if I just, you know, if I hadn't gone so far in my lust, if I just repented, then I could, you know, I could have lived on 80, you know. But no, he was dying. Just, you know, sometimes we, we learn these hard lessons in life. Where like, you know, a two-week journey turns into a 40-year journey. So when we get to this passages in, in the Old Testament, where we're going to see these things, you're going to be like, man, you know, why didn't they just do it like this? Because they could have just gone. It, actually, it was an 11-day journey. You know, depending on the pace, it could have been done maybe in nine days. But, you know, you look at the map, you do the mileage. You're like, okay, it could have been 11 days. I just say two weeks just to be safe. But 11-day journey turned into 40 years. And not to get down on Israel and be like, wow, Israel, what's wrong with you? You know, why are you doing this? I mean, sometimes I ask the question, why are you doing this? But in my own life, I can ask the same question. Why? Why? And then I fall to my knees. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. Lord, teach me. Lord, show me. And then you start to get the callous knees. And then you start to have intimacy with the Lord. And then the Lord taps on your heart and says, Hey, I want you to be a pastor. Hey, I want you to be a Bible teacher. Hey, I want you to, you know, teach women. You're female. Hey, I want you to teach women. You see? The Lord doesn't make mistakes. Not at all. 
And you see, just as in the Old Testament, the Lord is with the people. And you know, so they have their 40 years in the wilderness, but the whole time they're still making sacrifice unto the Lord, being right with the Lord, even during the 40 years, making themselves right with the Lord, even while the Lord is chastising them. But the Lord, you know, is, is still like with the apostles here, this little entourage of Paul who now has Timothy. And the Holy Spirit is with them. The Holy Spirit is guiding them. Hey, you guys are forbidden to go into Asia. Hey, you guys are forbidden to go into Bithynia. And they're not complaining about it. They're being obedient. There's, I love it because Timothy is witnessing these things. He's witnessing the sensitivities to the Holy Spirit. The same way a child in your home can witness the sensitivities to the Holy Spirit. You see, a child can see, you know, like... Wow, we have this urge to do this. As a family, we have this urge to do this. But I look at Papa, I look at Mama, and know they're you know, being obedient to the Lord, waiting on the Lord, the sensitivities of the Holy Spirit, and a child sees this, grows up in that environment. Sensitivities to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the leading of the Word of God. What is a child going to do when he or she is 15? When he or she is 20? When they're faced against all these issues, when they're faced against, you know, peer pressure, which is strong. I thought peer pressure was strong in my days, but peer pressure today, whew, that's a strong pull. What about peer pressure 10 years from now, 20 years from now? You know, if the Lord should tarry, imagine that peer pressure. And you know, a 20-year-old guy Going to your daughter. You know, hey, you know, let's do this. A 20-year-old female going to your 20-year-old son. Hey, let's do this, you know. And because of the things that you had sown, because of the building blocks that you have placed, because of the fact that your little ones have seen you wait on the Lord. They've seen your sensitivities to the Holy Spirit. You have building blocks. You have placed building blocks in their lives. So they could say, well, no, I'm going to wait on the Lord. Regardless of what my passions say, I'm going to wait on the Lord. Regardless of what all these other people are doing, I'm going to wait on the Lord. You see, it's so beautiful when you put things in these eternal perspectives. Meanwhile, you got all these other people going, you know, running around like chickens, their, their heads cut off like chickens. They're running around crazy, complaining. There's no order in their lives, no order in their homes. But no, the very act of godliness and righteousness for the next generation. You know, Parental sacrifices today for the sake of the next generation. It's so cool because these are things, you know, the younger generation, they see these things. They get to witness these things. Just like Timothy. He gets to see these things in action. He gets to witness these things in action because he's going to be a pastor one day. He's going to be a pastor one day. And he's learning how to wait on the Lord. Despite what all the people running around with chickens or 
not with chickens, but like chickens, their heads cut off. Like, they're, you know what I mean. The, the chickens with their heads cut off. You know, you see a chicken with their heads cut, their legs start to move and they run around a little bit and then they fall and then they just kick. That's why these people are running in the church. No order, zero order, chaos in their home, chaos in their lives. But look at the seeds that are being sown in this next generation, this Pastor Timothy, future Pastor Timothy. And so look what happens here in uh, in verse um, in verse eight. You know what's so cool about you know how they're they're following the Lord and they're you know the Lord is restricting them from Asia. The Lord is restricting them from Bithynia. They're obedient, but then at the same time, it's you see it's not carnal ambitions preaching the gospel. And I got to tread lightly in saying this. Maybe even walk on eggshells in saying this. Sometimes people enter the mission field. They become missionaries. And they call it a work of the Lord when it's really carnal ambition. And I say I have to tread lightly on that because on the surface, you might think like, wow, this is so cool. Look, you know, the gospel is going forth. How could this be a bad thing? Well, look at a missionary the first two months. And then look at a missionary after six months. Then after a year. Then after two years. And what do you see? Do you see some that are still in the mission field and preaching the good news in accordance with the Word of God, sound doctrine? If you do, praise be to the Lord. But I've seen people come back from the mission field and they're crackheads. Not crackheads, maybe meth. They come back from the mission field and they're on meth. And you see them like, what in the world happened? Dude, their face looks all weird. Their teeth are all nasty. What in the world happened to you? I thought you were a missionary. What happened? And it's cool to be a missionary. I'm not, you know, I'm not speaking negatively about that. But follow the Holy Spirit. Follow the Holy. The Spirit will lead. The Spirit will guide. You know where the Holy Spirit says, you know, you might say, man, I want to be ambitious. I want to save these crackheads. I want to give the. I want to give the good news. I want to give tell Jesus tell tell these people about Jesus Christ. These crackheads. And what if the Holy Spirit is saying, no, you know, don't do that. I'm restricting you. I'm forbidding you from doing that. What if the Holy Spirit is saying that? Well, if you have carnal ambitions, do you think you're going to yield to the Holy Spirit? Do you think you're going to hear the Holy Spirit? You see people, oh yeah, I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to reach out these, to these meth heads. And I want them to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, which is fine. You know, praise be to the Lord. If the Lord is directing you, you know, praise be to the Lord. But be very, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit might say, you can go this far, but don't go beyond this point. Because you know why? If you go beyond this point, that's where it becomes dangerous for you. And you see people get sucked in. Oh yeah, I'm going to go minister to these prostitutes. And then all of a sudden they become prostitutes. Instead of, you know, bringing prostitutes to Jesus Christ, you know, you're a Christian, you go to prostitutes and they bring you into prostitution. They're the fishermen. They're the evangelist into satanic things. You go, oh yeah, I'm going to go minister to these meth heads. 
And if you don't listen to the Holy Spirit, if you, you know, the Holy Spirit might say, you can go this way, you know, don't do that, you're forbidden. Or you know what, you can go this far, but don't go this far. If you don't have those sensitivities to the Holy Spirit, it can get dangerous for you. Where you think you're a fisherman, but instead you're the fish. And don't forget, Satan's a fisherman too. And then you get sucked in. You're a meth head too. Oh, I'm going to go minister to the crackheads. Then you become a crackhead. I'm going to go minister to prostitutes. Then you become a prostitute. Or, you know, a user. Whatever you call those people. Very, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that a future young pastor, Timothy, is there with them in their midst. Because he's seeing these things. You know, when you're young, you're so gung-ho about things. And then, you know, Timothy is learning self-control, not just self-control, but he's learning and seeing by experiencing witness to see these group of men, these guys. No, let's, let's wait on the Lord. The Lord is directing us like this. The Lord is restricting us from Asia. The Lord is restricting us from Bithynia. Sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. No, no carnal ambition. And so in verse 8, so passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, in verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul at night, in, in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's, that's the vision that Paul had at night. In verse 10, now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Now, do you remember a couple chapters ago? When I said how Dr. Luke wrote in the, you know, the third person, but in the early chapter 20, you know, like 22, 20, he, he starts to write in the first person. Well, here, you know, I was mistaken. Here's the first first person. In verse 10. Now, after, we, after he had seen the vision, immediately, we. We. So Dr. Luke is there. Dr. Luke is present. You see, I say this small entourage. You have Paul, you have Luke, and now you have young Timothy. And in, you know, verse 40 of chapter 15, you see Silas is there with them. What a beautiful, you know, this quartet. Paul, Silas, Peter, or, or <laughs> Paul, Silas, Dr. Luke, and Timothy. This little entourage of men. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful men. You know, no sickles like you see today. You know, you see pastors walk out and they got their chest puffed out. And they're like, wow, I'm a pastor. You see these elders, you know, they got their chest puffed out. And they're like, wow, I'm an elder. I'm the senior elder. I'm the senior pastor, you know. And they pop their collar. Wow, look at me. No, that's ugly. But you look at this. Paul, Silas, Dr. Luke, and Timothy. That's like, and they're not popping their collars at all. Their chests aren't puffed at all. There's like, wow, these are beautiful, beautiful men. Beautiful. And you see here, it says in verse 10, now after we had seen the, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us, another first person, to preach the gospel to them. You see, so imagine, you know, they wake up in the morning and Paul says, hey guys, you know, the Lord gave me a vision and this is what the vision was about the guy from Macedonia. And 
the, the vision, the guy from Macedonia says, come over to Macedonia and help us. So they talk about their, you know, having breakfast. They're talking about it, praying about it. And then they concluded, you know what? This is the Lord. This is the Lord who's calling us to preach the gospel to them in Macedonia. You see, and young Timothy is witnessing all this. It's so beautiful. And God is directing. God is leading. And, you know, the, Timothy is not just experiencing this and the self-control, the sensitivities to the Holy Spirit. But, you know, it's he's seeing their obedience. You know, they might have all had, am, you know, being ambitious to, to preach the gospel. But it's better to have your ambition be in obedience to the Word of God and obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because you can be obedient about, you know, spreading the gospel. You can be, you know, you can be passionate and ambitious about whatever ministry. But make sure your ambition is under the umbrella of obedience, which is under the umbrella of sensitivities to the Holy Spirit, which is under the umbrella of the Word of God. Always. Always, 100% of the time. Because outside of that, you break that up, ministry speaking, if you have any break in that, it's dangerous. That's when you get into, you know, oh, I'm ambitious about ministering to prostitutes. And then all of a sudden you take the bait, you become a prostitute. Or you become a user. Or you're ambitious about, I'm going to go minister to the meth heads. And you know, at the onset, you think, wow, it's beautiful if a prostitute comes to Jesus Christ. It's beautiful if a meth head becomes a Christian and comes to Christ. It's so beautiful. But be very careful with emotions. Check your emotions at the door. And check your baggage at the door. Because, you know, Satan's a fisherman too. Don't you think God would want this meth head to be a Christian? Don't you think God would want this prostitute to be a Christian? Surely God desires that. And at the surface of things, you know, God does desire. He's long-suffering. But who is the delivery? Who, who, you know, who's the delivery boy? Who's the messenger? Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's somebody else. A lot of men get into trouble. Because, you know, they're all prideful. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go into this ministry. The Lord is calling me into this ministry. And then all of a sudden, they become the crackhead. That was a trap. You took the bait. You know why? Because that order wasn't there. The umbrellas weren't there. You know, check your bags at the door. Check your ambitions at the door. And if you do have ambitions, which isn't a bad thing, Make sure it's under the umbrella of obedience. And then make sure that is under the umbrella of the Holy Spirit, which is under the umbrella of the Word of God. Always. In ministry, especially in these last days. Because Satan's going to whisper in your ear, doesn't you think God wants those people to be Christians? Why don't you be the one to do it? Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, you can only go this far, but you can't go further. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying straight up, no, I'm forbidding you from doing that. I'm forbidding you from ministering to the prostitutes because the Lord knows you. 
It might be dangerous for you to minister to prostitutes. It might be dangerous for you to minister to crackheads because you might become a prostitute or a user or you might become a crackhead. It's not to say that the Lord doesn't love the crackheads. It's to say maybe this ministry is for somebody else. You can pray for these people. Pray for those ministers. Pray for the ones that outreach the prostitutes. Pray for the ones that outreach to the crackheads. But maybe it's not for you. Because for you, it might be dangerous. Sensitivities to the Holy Spirit. A lot of men get into trouble. Especially wives who do have, you know, sensitivities. If, they're, if they have hardcore, wife must submit to husband. You think the husband is going to listen to his helper? Lowercase h? No way. Because he's pride, prideful. He's not going to listen to his helper. Give it to him by the Lord. Sometimes I wonder when a man is standing before the Lord, if he's going to say, you know, why did you ignore the helper that I gave you? And then a guy's going to start talking about the Holy Spirit and the Lord's going to stop him right there. No, I'm talking about your wife. Why didn't you listen to her? You're the lo- the lowercase h, the lowercase helper. And then you know you not only didn't listen to her, you also didn't listen to the uppercase helper. My Holy Spirit. You had no sensitivities to my spirit, no sensitivities to the wife that I gave you, and now look, look at the mess that you made. You see? So powerful how the Lord see. We just we just did ten verses. We looked a little bit of the home of Timothy, the building blocks of this future pastor. As we see these beautiful things, what Timothy is experiencing, you know, being under the wing of Paul. Don't forget the building blocks to my beautiful, beautiful sisters in Christ. Don't forget the be- the beautiful building blocks. Things that you can plant in your children. The word of God, the assurance of his word. From a young, young age, like when when your belly's huge and they're in your belly, teach them the word. They come out of your belly, teach them the word. They start to grow, teach them the word. Don't stop giving the assurance of the word of God. Because it could be that the Lord wants to use them for whatever ministry. It could be. You don't know. You don't have to know. All you have to know is the who. That's it. Praise be to the Lord. We're going to end our study here. We'll pick up in verse 11 next week, Lord willing. God bless you guys. Love you guys.